Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Warning, this podcast may contain mature language, so if you're not comfortable with that, earmuffs. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is a really fun one today. I have Amy Schumer is about to come in here. Writer, performer, comedian, about to be movie star, screenwriter. And, uh, I mean, that's about all the introduction you need. You know who Amy Schumer is. And um, I don't want to take up a lot of time. I will say that uh, this is the first time that I've done this since I've been doing the show that um, my almost 15-year-old daughter, Anna, uh, asked to come by the studio while I was doing it. And um, I'll tell you, she has never, Anna has never watched one of my movies and uh, no TV shows. But, uh, and she's always like, yeah, 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 whatever, Dad. But then I said I was um, interviewing Amy Schumer, and she was like, oh. I said, do you, do you want to come and get to meet Schumer? And she said, um, yeah. So she's here. Put, hit that on button. Hi, Anna. Hi. I know you didn't know I was going to make you talk. No, I wasn't aware of this. Just quickly, uh, what is it about Schumer? Why, why, why is this particularly interesting to you? I think that she has a way of capturing female d- dynamics that's really interesting and spot on. Uh, you mean you recognize the dynamics that you see on her show in in even like in in freshman uh, of high school life? Yeah, every day. You mean you guys don't treat each other kindly and gently and um, with love and care? Surprisingly, not. Okay, well there it is from uh, ninth grade. Everybody, uh, Amy Schumer will be here soon. Thanks, Anna, for that uh, wonderful insight. Schumer will be here soon. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you want to find me. Um, I'm at the moment BK at gmail.com. Write me about anything except do not send me any screenplays or anything like that. Uh, no movie ideas, no television show ideas, no teleplays. If you send any of that stuff, Anna, all the bullies from Anna's school will come chase you down uh, and get you. And uh, But other than that, I'm always interested. I write everybody back, even if it takes me some time to do so. Uh, Schumer will be here soon, and we will get this thing underway. Thanks for listening. We're good. We're going. All right. Schumer's here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. This is really um, fun and exciting. So, yeah, my daughter helped me do the introduction because she left now so we can say whatever we want to say. But she said in the introduction, I go, and she didn't know I was going to ask her to speak on the mic. Uh So uh, she said, oh, she captures the dynamics between women better than anybody I've ever seen. And I go, you mean it's like that in ninth grade? Oh, gosh. Well, she must be really smart. Um, not patting myself on the back. True. But, but, I mean, yeah, like just that she would be aware of those dynamics already. Well, yeah, she's totally, uh, she's bright. She's gorgeous. But, like, I don't, I'm sure she has a lot of value in other areas, but I was like, who is this gorgeous angel? Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. I'll tell her that you said she was smart and pretty and she'll be happy. But it is the first time she's ever been like, anything I've done professionally, like, oh, <laughs> can I be part of this? And I go, ninth grade, it's not really gentle. And, and I know because she writes about this stuff that oh, God. it's 
you know, it can be hard. Ninth grade. I mean, it's all brutal. There's no like. Yeah. When does it like for for women? When when does it become like a little more civil? Do you think? I to think each when other? you get old enough to get that mom haircut. Yeah. That's my guess. Like I the haven't, bob? I haven't the, the bob. Yeah, totally. The page boy when you're just like throw the ball on your head. Yeah. Because I, yeah, like I just I, I did something for People Magazine that they're always like people always want me to give like dating tips and I'm like what I don't have any dating tips you know people just get confused about what your thing is they're like you have like tits like give us dating tips and I'm like I I do you think I'm successful uh you know what I mean and um. But then uh, they were like, "What would it was the thing about confidence? It's either dating tips or confidence, right?" And uh, every woman's magazine's like, "How do we stop hating ourselves?" So, and they were like, "What would you say to yourself if you could talk to yourself at 10? And it was like, I don't remember what my words were, but it was like the theme of like, "You just don't compare yourself to other people. Just hang in there and and love yourself." And uh, and then at the end of it, I was like, "And also like send this letter back to me because I still need it in my thirties." But it, I don't. What well, does it still hurt? I mean, does like you're saying, um, you still can get sort of hurt by the little like slights or little digs from other women. Well, no, no, I, I, that's not what my I, that was hard when, in middle school. Right. That was like the yeah. mean girls, and that's where you're like your defense mechanisms, and you know probably a big reason that I wound up in comedy and roasts. But yeah. um, but that's not what's so hard about it at that age it's not the mean girls it's all it's all just trying to figure out your place and identity and it's it's oh, that still never, well for all of them it's not that's not a unique to yeah. women that's all i mean that's like finding finding who you're authentic i always think that um like chasing down the authentic self is the hard it's like impossible right. and, and those days that you can feel really comfortable in your skin are sort of like the best Days, right? Because then you can access the best parts of yourself. Yeah, those are, um, those are, those, I really appreciate those days. I almost feel like, like those days I just try to really feel it, almost like someone who finds out that they're gonna like, gonna live, like, you know, like, oh, they had a near death. And you're like, oh, like you love feeling the air in your lungs. I'll just be like, oh, okay, I feel good today. And I feel solid and, and happy with where things are. But, I, and I know that it's not, um, unique. To, to women, I know that 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 search for authenticity, and uh, and your identity is is for men and women. But imagine everything that you were feeling, and then layered on top of that, having your worth be constantly determined based on your looks. Yeah, I yes, uh, of course, that's the thing that separates it out. Like, because if you had met my even and women too, I mean, it's so nice that you said. Um, that Anna's pretty mm-hmm. and she is beautiful and that's great. But it, it it's interesting, you know, um, when if you, people you met my son, he's a good looking young guy. But, you know, it wouldn't even really be on the table that people would say, oh, he's, you know, handsome. So it is right. something that you you got that women grapple with in a way that we don't, especially after a certain point. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm here. I don't give a fuck. You know, right. it doesn't matter. But, I mean, it, it it can also be a hindrance. Like, she's really pretty, and that can be a, a problem also because that causes jealousy, and then that causes some rage from people also. Like, how dare you be that beautiful And if you don't want to be with me? You know, it just, it's, it's just this. I've been reading a lot of 
Elena, uh, Elena Ferrante, which I need to stop. You know don't her? Don't stop. No, I, I don't know her <laughs> stuff. But Anna's in a feminism class for the first time ever this, oh, yeah. this year and like has been reading just so much of this stuff. And it's yeah. helpful. Right. But, uh, it's, it's, it's all... Um, it's endless. It's endless because also I do think it's true that like, yes, you have those, these battles with yourself and then dealing with men who want to look at you through that prism. But I also have been around a lot of women who are in comedy and... Uh, you really rarely see anyone harsher on women comedians than women comedians. What do you mean? I mean, harsher. I've heard, I've heard, you know, there, I think, I was watching that Bonnie McFarlane movie, which I have problems uh-huh. with that movie. And I didn't, I haven't seen it yet. You're in it briefly, but I have problems yeah. with that movie, I, like with the premise of it. She's a talented person. Yeah. She's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, a great joke yeah. writer. Really, really funny. But the premise of the movie bugged me. Um, even giving like Hitchens that much credence in a way. But I don't know, when I found like when Whitney Cummings started to become successful, I heard a bunch of women comics like running her down way more than guys did about her looks. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. But I mean, I'm sure that her looks weren't anything that were ignored. Like people use any sort of ammunition. I hear people doing it about Pete Davidson right now, though. You know, it's oh, like I've heard the same thing. You're totally right. Just so with that kind of like, you know, immediate success and uh it's just, I, you know, I had a day and I was, I, I, I remember this because I have never, my sister's here so she can vouch, I have never said a word about a comic where I've been jealous of them. I've never, I mean, I've had a, a very nice path and, uh, but I've never, jealousy has never come up for me. But that moment in time when Whitney sold two or three TV shows, had a special, the road, like, it hit me in a way and I was, I felt, and it was all, you know, it's all about yourself and what you're not doing and whatever. And I, I called my manager and I was, I was really upset and I was like, is this, is this stuff going to happen for me? And they were like, yeah, just do the work. And I was like, oh yeah. And it, it was gone. It was like a couple hours, but, and it was, it was like a very strange feeling. And I was like, oh God, I, I'm so glad that I had this experience and, and so glad that I, that it's not something that I regularly deal with because if you're if you're a comedian and you're giving any energy to being jealous or it's it's so sad you know I mean as a comic we have taste and I can be like I think this comic sucks and I don't see any value in their stage time um you know and that's that's my opinion but but to have that feeling because when people really go after someone they're jealous oh yeah they spend any time and energy and that is a waste of energy well, in any sort of, uh, particularly in any artistic endeavor, oh, it, it's one thing if you use it as like like um, to prod yourself forward. Yeah. In a way. It fueled uh, me and it reminded me, yeah, these things are all attainable. Right. That always happens to me. Like when I was starting to try to do this and I would see somebody do, not the podcasting, you know, make movies and I would see someone I knew like sold a screenplay. If I thought they were um, amazingly talented and like had worked hard, I would be inspired by it. And then if I thought, like there's this one guy in particular who I just thought was like pretty much a moron. Mm-hmm. And he sold this script and I did get really angry for like half a day. And then I was just um, so fired up by it, way more even, because I was like, well, okay, I can, there's no question. Right. And I hope, it's science. I assume that I've been that for a bunch of people. They've <laughs> been like, well, if compliment can do it, like why can't I go and, uh, one guy called and told me that was the case. And he Great. did. He sold script. He sold the script. He he. I didn't know the guy. We. 
I haven't thought of it. I've never told this, and I never thought of it before this second. Yeah. How, what how obnoxious it was until right now. I was sitting in my office, and it was during like a uh, cold. You know, we all during these careers, you know, you have these hot moments, the moments that you're less hot, right. and you, you go on. You just keep doing your thing. Yeah. But it was one of the definitely like, probably after like knockaround guys came out, which didn't do well and got bad reviews. And I remember sitting in my office, and this guy called, and I barely recognized his name. And he's like, I went to college with you. And I'm like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, you remember I lived with Neil? And I, no, I remember Neil, but I remember him. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, like, well, you sold that script. And I was like living another life. And I was like, man, that guy can do it. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that um, my movie's getting shot. And uh, he told me the name of this director who was directing it. And he's like, and yeah, so thanks for... And I was like, you're like, please take me out of your phone. Yeah. How about that? Thanks for thanks for you mean being the example of someone who sucked and made it. And yeah, it was, that is so it was, insane. But I, I just want to say um, my best friends are female comics and and we support each other so much and not just my friends. Like I I feel a responsibility and also a drive to like really support the shit out of other women. Who are your best friends who are comedians? Okay, I was lying. No, I'm okay. just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Rachel Feinstein. Yeah, she's great. Jesse Klein, Nikki Glaser, Bridget Everett, Chelsea Peretti. All awesome. Natasha Leggero. And uh, I, uh, oh yeah, I was like, wow, this podcast, like I've I've never done a podcast when I have nothing to plug, but I would like to plug Chelsea Peretti's special one of the greats on Netflix. Have you seen it? Yeah, but I'm so annoyed with Chelsea right Why? now. Oh, because before I had the podcast, mm-hmm. I said to Chelsea, I want you to be one of like my first three guests. Yeah. And she said like, 100%, I'm in. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll do it. And um, nothing, never. Hasn't no. done well, she's it. in LA. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Chelsea, Schumer's saying, Schumer's here, plugging your special. Yeah. In a way, she sent actually a, be- a surrogate I'm for a herself. Vessel. I'm a vessel of God. She said, no, I think she's hilarious. That's special. I think it's the best special of the year. I know it's like whatever lists are useless, but if I'm making a list, it's the best special of the year. Yeah, I'm so happy that she's on that show and killing it. Because I, yeah. I think her podcast, which people, I don't think people understand how subversively great her podcast is. She's a complete animal. Do you listen Do you listen to it? I, I've listened to it a couple times. Do, do I'm not you, a regular. I, I, I love what Bill Burr is on. Yeah, well, in the, especially in the beginning before like it... Um, I, but when it was fresh, she was like really just subverting the whole thing. She was just fucking with people so hard. Yeah. Um, so okay, so those are all your friends, and you think you're all supportive of each other. Do you yeah. guys like will you, will you watch her sets, and will you guys like yeah. talk about jokes with each other? Totally. Yeah. Uh, how, like, how does that work? You'll go like if she's prepping for a special, will you make it a point, or it's just if you happen to be in the same club? Um. Well, like, like last night, Rachel and I are at the Comedy Cellar, and uh, and. She was about to go on, and I was like, can I watch? And she's like, yeah, but, like, I'm not really trying anything new. And I was like, all right. And I just, like, had just gotten food, so I just ate it. And then, but she knows I'm working on new stuff. So then she comes down, and and after we talk That's about awesome. specific jokes, yeah. And then and then Chelsea and I will bounce stuff off each other, and we always are, we're all, like, asking, do you have a thing about this and whatever? And then, uh, yeah, just feeling, like, super-duper supported and and those are the people i i want to hang out with more i mean i i'm still good friends with my high school friends and and college friends but but that that vocabulary that we share and those you know being able to call and talk about like the shittiest booker you know like oh i'm going to this club this weekend and it's just like oh god why why are you doing that to yourself like we just have we just know names of people in like nebraska 
who's going to pick you up from yeah. the airport. Right. You know, it's just like a connection. Like, and it's it's the same with guys, but when it's when you're a chick, no, it's different. That's what annoyed me. That's what, what annoyed me about Bonnie's movie was like. I think that movie would have had a lot of currency. Fifteen years. Well, I guess she and Rich were working on it for that long, but yeah. but no, that movie would have had a lot of currency to me before before you and Chelsea. This is exactly what I wrote on before. Like, I think you like there was Sarah. Who I think really changed the world in a oh, lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And definitely um, for me. Yeah, I mean, her point of view must have made you think, like, okay, this is po- in a way, this is possible. I just didn't. Yeah, I just didn't feel alone. You just, it was, you know, and especially she was so young and she was on SNL and and just and the reason that I love comedians so much now and I feel so connected to them and so close, I think, is because just that child in myself that was made to feel like something was wrong with me. The, for being drawn to the things I was drawn to. And then to, to see someone like Sarah, you know, there were other role models for me and people who made me laugh and funny women, but but it was like, oh, there, that's me. There's me. And I know girls feel that way about m- me. It's like, oh, they maybe do. I can't really connect to this other person or I see they're funny, but then when you see someone you really connect to, it really changes the way you, you view things. Did, did you ever get to directly tell Sarah? She knows. She's a friend of mine, like, right. but no, yeah, yeah, but yes, I did. I have like, gotten how, to tell her many did, times. What? How? Um, God, the first like three times I met her, I probably just gushed and had other did? people gush. Yeah, I think so. Um, and she's really sweet. She's really good at accepting love from people. Um, <clears throat> she's yeah, I mean, because she's lived in it. She's been famous for so long, and and famous because the thing she does means so fucking much to people. Yeah, when it means something to them, it's like, yeah, you're just. And I, I mean, I've learned my lesson. I learned my lesson with Gloria Steinem because the first time I met her, I just like went up to her and was like, "You don't understand." And you know, this this poor woman is like, okay, like she was nice, but I could just tell she's like, I don't want to every day with this. And then I kind of <laughs> took a breath, <laughs> chilled out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Gloria Steinem just over it. Right, she's she, changed the world. She's so sweet. She's she, done. But, but the thing was, I like, chilled out and I went back, and then we talked about the issues that were important to both of us, and we just had a conversation. And she wants to, you know, just like I do, it's I so want hard. to engage in in like this dialogue and and talk about these things. But but it is hard to just stand there and hear how much you've meant to someone. You're just like, uh huh. <laughs> oh, it's so no, it's so difficult. Like. Yeah. Uh, uh, for for whatever reason, of uh, like all the people in in music, for, for some reason Michael Stipe just means everything in the world to me. Yeah. Probably because I'm 48 and I was in college. Yeah, when that, and you're dressed like him. And I yes, I dress <laughs> like him. And of the same, uh, I saw him play the other night. He performed for the first time in six years at uh, opening for Patti Smith. It was incredible. Uh, but where I, was that? Was that in Brooklyn? At, no, at um, uh, no on 11th Street. Um, Webster Hall. Oh my God, was it? It was awesome. Well, yeah, it was the it was uh, amazing. Yeah. But I was watching with Mario Batali, who's best friends with him, and Mario had this like right above the stage thing, and Stipe's set ended, and I knew that if I hung around, um, Mario would have taken me back, and I just like I left. Yes, <laughs> because I would have cried. And you can't cry you can't. all over Michael Stipe. No, nope. you just can't do You'll it. You'll just regret it for the rest of your life. That's what happened to my sister, and we went. We've had a couple opportunities to meet Ani DeFranco, and we oh. just were like, and then the last time was the closest we ever came. Our our friend was opening for her and uh, was like, okay, like you want to come backstage now? She's gonna have to leave quick. You because, wouldn't do it? No, they were like, she, well, they were like, her her kids kind of sick, so she won't be able to stay long. And we were like, nope, we're out. We're and we just booked, went to the subway. Just I don't want to. I've seen her in airports, and I'm just like, no, I don't want to meet her. Oh, but I know, like you're <laughs> you're carrying the torch in a way. She, I think she would. 
Oh, I I don't want to like that's the thing because when you meet your idols, and I don't want to be friends with her. It's not fun to be around famous people that you idolize. Like no, I'm I know. I'm now friends with some people that I have always had on such a pedestal, and it's like. It's not that fun. It's better to just keep them up there and keep your distance. It takes a lot of work. The the as you know, because you're like one of those people now for for people. That's the thing. What Sarah is for people, you are. And I'm sure that when you when there's somebody who is like um, a younger comic, you must know. All right, this is going to take like a month and a half before I'm human to them. But if it's worth it or it's not to put in the time, I don't do feel like it? I'm there, and I I haven't had that experience. Like. I'm not being your humble. sister's like that's crazy. I don't think I'm being. I, I'm not. You're doing I'm, your own routine from the show. No, like, what, no, what? that's ridiculous. I'm. I'm not. I'm not famous. I'm the opposite of somebody who would. No, I know that I'm. But you know what? It's very new. I would say. I. I would say in the last couple of months, it's gotten very weird. It's after but the it's second totally season new. of the show. After the second. Yeah, season because of the it show. was like the second season of the show aired, and then we were. I was in L.A. just working on this movie, just living, basically in seclusion. In Marina Del Rey, writing the movie, and then we were filming it. So I've been like in a camp. I haven't been in the world for a while, and then I've kind of just been on the streets the last couple months, and uh, and it's very different. And it's and so I I am getting that energy from people, but I haven't been around younger comics at all, actually, because anybody new past at the cellar. I kind of know them, but I so I haven't had that experience. No, you ha- yet. Yeah, it's weird when you're in that position on either side of it. Like I'm, I've become over the last long time, ten years, friends with Penn Gillette. And Penn, when I saw his first show, which was this off Broadway show, it was yeah. life life changing for me. The very first Penn and Teller thing, like the possibilities of what you could do with art. And it took like a long time and a conscious decision for me not to make him like a hero to me because also yeah. his atheist, like everything he writes about mm-hmm. and talks about, matters to me. Right. And like I had to learn how to disagree with him. Yeah, I know. Not just like try to. I know it's so hard. I, I at Bonnaroo a couple of years ago, Margaret Cho right was sitting next to me. Like I was on mushrooms, and Margaret Cho comes and sits next to me, and I'm like, "What?" Like I was just like, "I love you," and um, and we we talked for a minute, and then I was like, "I can't." Oh, and then somebody came and bust the table with a baby arm, and. So they're like cleaning up cups from the table, and they had a, like a baby arm, and I was like on oh, mushrooms, no. like a, like the Kristen Wiig character on the TV, on yes, the show, on yes. SNL. Yes, and I was oh, like, that's sad. I can't, I couldn't deal with that, like in Soberville, but to be on mushrooms. So I was like, Margaret, uh, in the middle of a conversation, I was like, I can't be around you because I want you to like me too much. So, and I just like <laughs> I walked away, and she like understood. She's like, okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's. It's so exhausting to be around a famous person. Even to have them guest star on the show, it's like, and and a lot of them don't need, like Paul Giamatti is on the show and I'm like, you know, you're kind of ready to tend to a famous person. But then he he's someone who's like, doesn't need it and can seriously, like, it's like a child. You're like, you can leave him in a chair. Like it's, right. you know. Well, you know, I'm making a show with him right now. You are? Oh yeah, he's starring in my show. The, there's a, so my partner Dave and I created a show for Showtime. We're shooting the pilot. The poker um, show? No, it's called Billions. It's set in the world of hedge funds. And um, oh, that's the one he's working on. Yeah, he's so that's my. I mean, I wrote my oh, partner awesome. Dave and I wrote that show, and he's starring in our show. That's so he's the cool. greatest. He and Damian Lewis from Homeland. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Um. This will be put up right as we're about it. to start. And Paul. Yeah. So we um were reading actresses for this one part. Yeah. Um. 
And so Paul came in to read with the woman who we cast, Maggie Siff, who's yeah. incredible. And so I got to actually watch him doing – what was it – I mean, to write for him. Could you believe what that's like, watching He's, him do your thing? He is an absolute dream. Jesse wrote the scene that we uh, – Jesse Klein wrote the scene where it's – where I, like, find out I have herpes and I'm praying yeah. to him. And then this season I wrote um, – I watched that. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, but he's going to do a scene this season I'm really, really excited about. That, it, uh, I mean, if I let him out to do it. Well, he'll be done. No, it was well, around well, we'll your show. Well, we'll see. I mean, I don't know this, and that's I'm not sure at all. The scheduling. Brian, give me a break, man. Look, uh, what, what do you want? Um, we can write the letters like Judd and those creators of that terrible show. changing his schedule. You I'm can wish like, cancer on me. You know I already I, do. No, I, uh, yeah, it was like around the show. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited. When do you guys, are you, when do you guys start? We start in two weeks. We've already filmed some Man on the Street stuff. But Have you written, how many episodes have you written? We're done yeah. we're done oh that's great yeah do you so you have the whole season written before you start yeah yeah that's inc- how did you work that out for yourself? that's how we've done it every time we just we write 50 plus scenes and then we set it up it's all scheduled based on location <laughs> And uh, we're like, okay, we have a bathhouse today. What are we going to shoot there? <laughs> and um, yeah, and we just go from there and just around people's scheduling. And then and you have a, uh, when's your movie supposed to come out? Because you have a whole then in the, right. So you're just not stopping. That's a way you get to not have to really think about everything that's happened to you. Yeah, I have like, what do I have to do today? It's like so. It's everything is very regimented. That's yeah. why I was like, I can do today at three. You no, know, I, I love like, that. No, but that's <laughs> why when you said. Um, that uh, being around famous people, it's taxing and draining. And I know you're not being falsely humble, but are you kind of aware of where you live now in the, the the cultural firmament, like the way that people look to you? Does it does it land for you? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I I can I'm experiencing it in that because the people who are close to me are the people who have been close to me forever. Uh, the comedians I'm close to, we've been friends for 10 years and I've got my family and so, um, but I just see strangers. Like I know that I, I can't sit in the terminal in the airport right now because I'll be not mobbed, but you know, 10 people will come over. Can you tell when someone comes up to you and it really matters to them in a different way or not? Like, is it all, do you have to just shut off like the, the facility that lets you? No, it's pretty clear. It's like. You know, some people like don't know why they know you, <laughs> and because uh, it's like I learned this from Sarah. If you keep moving, yeah, people are like, huh? Like you just see them kind of like, hmm, and then they put it takes them too long to put it together. But if you're somewhere long enough, then they're like, oh, that's who that is. And it could be that they just watched you an hour ago. You know, it's like, <laughs> does it? I mean, was fame a conscious part of the thing for you when you? we're doing this no I never did this like I was never like I want to be a comedian and uh and write movies and be a mo-. like I've I, I've never had a goal my goals have been very small this whole time things just right in front of me so there and so fame didn't even occur to me yeah at any point in this it wasn't like I'm gonna like uh one, I'm saying er, yeah once I did the roast, once I knew I was going to do the roast, yeah, uh, on Comedy Central, yeah, I was yeah. like Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I was like, this is going to put me on a new level for right. work and for 
Okay, so you know this. I was thinking about like what the moment is for you that like because you've had so many. But to me, me, it is like the moment when mm-hmm. right before the roast. Yeah, but that's the career moment. But I was thinking like I was like, what was my moment? And my first ever TV thing was my first special for Comedy Central. It was before Last Comic Standing or anything, and uh, it was live at Gotham, and I was so excited to film that. I think I. I think I didn't make any money. I think I actually had to pay a couple thousand to join, like, after. Yeah. But the feeling I had filming that, I was in a blackout. I was so excited. And that is, like, still probably the my favorite set of my life. How long was your set? Ten minutes. So you're ten minutes on Live at Gotham. Yeah. Because of what you had to... Because of what it meant to me. Well, yeah, what I wrote down, I wrote down this, this idea about ambition for you. And I, I can... My sense is that your ambitions are creative ambition and then fine you'll you're not going to be dumb about the career stuff like you'll be smart about maximizing it because yeah. like you sh- you should and that's what we do to uh but because you know I said this on the podcast with Jesse but it is true you and I did stand up on a, a gig together once yeah I, I heard you say that and I I know I did two shows with Andy Engel and one of them I remember is this the one where I don't even think there was a microphone. It's there. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, you were just wondering were we why it wasn't connecting with anybody. Were, were, there we, was were, a mic. were they all standing in front of us? It was on Columbus Avenue and 72nd Street. Was it in the basement? Yes. Okay. I remember. Yeah. That is a tough room. Were they all Russian or something? There, well, no, there were these, yeah, the kids from Bensonhurst who had just like come oh, to- they like bats? And I was, <laughs> yeah, it was I, basically, I had come to, to I had been doing stand-up just- I did it for a year and a half because I, I was blocked writing something. And That's I was exactly like, when you do an Andy Engel show. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I had started uh, doing this and I didn't want to do it in um, uh, a show busy way. So I'd start open mics and Dan Soder and I did um, open mics together. Oh, my God. So we all started together. That's, well, yeah. You've, <laughs> well, you've outstripped me. But um, Soder and I did open mics together and he and I became super close. We're still like really close friends. Yeah. Um, and... Then I got, like, you know, when I got the thing where I could go and work at Andy's place and even get, like, $10 or something. Bucks, right. Well, you may have got 20 because you were a star. I, no, but, I've been doing it no, a year and a half, too. I, yeah. No, but when you, I had just started. This is what I was going to say, though. Like, I've never seen anybody. So uh, I've never seen anybody bomb like that, Amy. <laughs> well, I watched you come in, and, you know, of course, Andy, who's, a, like, a, a, a good guy, tries. So he's like a broad, modern-day Broadway Danny Rose. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he really. <laughs> he's Birdman. <laughs> so Danny Rose and tries so hard on uh, you know um and he goes Chuck Schumer's like daughter is coming That's to me hilarious. or I go wait no I don't think it could be Chuck Schumer's daughter he goes maybe his niece <sighs> Chuck Schumer's niece then of course that's he's certain that's who's coming in and so I was like um oh well I'm going to I'm excited to watch this and you know I you were charismatic and I could tell you were smart but it was like um, you just you, you just can say I bombed. No, like weren't... I'm sure I wasn't good yet. <laughs> well, no, but like I'd seen so many comics, and then when you got last comic, I remember watching it, and um, you were unbelievably great. That first time they gave you an assignment, like you have to prepare for tonight, right? And you were better at writing Joe. And I I remember like calling my wife in and going like Amy, this her name's Amy too. Like yeah. this is the most incredible thing. I have never I don't understand this girl's a genius, and she sucked so hard. <laughs> 
<laughs> just like last year. I don't understand. It was like yeah. a Robert Johnson down at the crossroads deal with the devil thing. That's hilarious. But like what? You must have made a decision to get great at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what was that like for you? Well, I just like, I liked doing stand-up. I was like... This is fun. You know, it just, I, I wasn't like, I want to be a comedian. I just had no you goals. You mean in the beginning? Yeah, in the beginning. I would do open mics and I would do some bringer shows. And then um, and then I just got the bug. Like, I just, the addiction just, it was, it was, I don't remember what the joke was. But I remember, I think it was a night where I'd, uh, and I had a boyfriend. We lived together. And I was like, okay, I did a show. Now I want to go home and, and watch tv and have dinner with my boyfriend you know and then all of a sudden it was like just one joke and i was like i, I, w- I got off stage in harlem and i was like i really want to try this joke again oh, that's great. and then i just kept running around and then i just had it it was from then on that i just wait that night you started working that joke that the you night start, I saw saying, you, no no i'm saying the night so you oh, did that yeah. joke and then you were like i'm gonna go keep telling that yeah joke and i just wanted to run around and tell you know i would do a set but i it was about that one joke and then it became about two jokes. And I'm still like that. It's still, you know, I can't wait to get on stage again because of these stupid new ideas I have. But um, And finding the perfect way to communicate them and for yeah. those things to land. Yeah, and seeing if it's even funny and then seeing what will happen on stage. And so I just caught the bug to, to make me want to work hard at it and want to get good at it. And so by the time Last Comic came around, I had figured out how to do... I had 10 good minutes that worked in these little 90 second sound bites, which was an advantage over the road dogs who'd been doing it for 20, 25 years. Because, you know, for me to, I could never do that show now. I, I to well, even to do what a, do you mean? You mean because taking the risks would be too scary? No, or? no, because I couldn't do a three minute set. It's, you know, it, that's the thing. I, I'm i used to doing an hour now or doing 15 minutes at the cellar or something. But to be like, okay, we need to – you have 30 seconds that we're going to use on this primetime reality show. I, I just wouldn't have it. And I was so genuinely shocked I was there and excited about life. And there, I just – there wasn't a – there there wasn't a dark cloud over my sunny little head yet. Like I just – and you know what? The jokes on Last Comic – I, I'm still proud of those jokes. I'm still like structurally and like they just. Well, that's what I saw. Like I saw somebody who, um, because like I'm always I'm super fascinated by peak performance, by how people in these like moments. That's why like yeah. um, how people in these moments, you know, some wilt and then sometimes some people have just built themselves in a certain way that they're able to at that moment when the opportunity shows up, like they really grab it. And I remember yeah. watching your face as you were given whatever that first assignment was, and like. You wanted it. Like, yeah. you wanted the challenge somehow. Right. I, but see, that was totally a surprise to me. And then the last... You mean that you dug it was a surprise to you? No, no, no. That I was good at it was a total surprise to me. I wasn't like, oh, I can do this. I was like, I have no business being here, so every day is a gift. So I'm just going to go out hard like with nothing to lose because I have nothing to lose. Because I shouldn't even be here. I, I kind of feel like that about everything that's happened. Where I'm just like, I, I feel like I have no apologies about anything. Because I'm like, with the amount of time I've been doing it, it's crazy that I'm even here. So I'm just going to do the best I can, and that's it. But in a way, that plays into a narrative that I think doesn't doesn't serve you in a certain area. Which is, by 
by sort of even saying like I'm lucky to be here or like that this is you know I'm playing with the house's money or whatever way. No, like, well I learned that I have every right to be right. There. That's yeah, yeah because you know I was I, I I was thinking about like the way people interview you sometimes and there's uh, even like really smart people like Howard's the greatest and his interviews with, with you are the most that is just like perfect radio. He's so there's good. nothing I like more than listen <laughs> YouTube. I could listen to that oh, for hours. Thanks. Um, but. A lot of people, when they talk to you, they concentrate so much on the subject matter that you cover as though, oh, she's brave because she talks about what everybody else wishes they would talk about. And it's so they like when I was in those comedy clubs, um, all the women would talk about um, having sex and what it felt like and yeah. guys doing it. It's like. The way that you tell the jokes, it's your craft that's like set you apart. Thank you. And I don't think that you talk, you, I think, give right into a lot of the time, oh, I'm talking to some older, smart person. And so I'm going to like just kind of play along. And I don't, I, I like, I, I don't understand why, why you don't own more like, oh, it's because I'm really good at actually figuring out how to work on these jokes in a way that makes what people are thinking about um, really funny. Right. I mean, do, do you know what, you know what I mean? I hear what you're saying. I, I think I hear what you're saying. And I would say that, first of all, the the understanding and, and the belief that I do have, have a right and I do have something to say is not something that was here from the very beginning. And, and I actually, a big lesson that I did learn was on Last Comic, and it was during the last challenge that we had and it was we had to do a speed the speed round they made us think that we were going to have to we would have a couple minutes to make these deal or no deal models laugh and so they'd be behind a door and we had to write for them but then when we actually went in the door it wasn't them it was in one room it was a drill sergeant in one room it was a nun in one room it was a drag queen and um and we so we didn't see each other go and i won that challenge and one of the guys actually turned to me and said, "You, because that that meant you were going to be in the. I was whoever one was going to be in the top five and right. get to go on the tour and make money and get to tour the country." And somebody turned to me and said, "You don't deserve, you don't deserve it." Oh, who said that? Uh, I'm not going to say, but it rhymes with Schmalf Maris. Great. And um, I was, and we're we're cool now. Like, of course, whatever. Yeah, now uh, that he's not even a smudge on your shoe. No, he's very talented. Um, but he, uh, yeah, it just kind of broke my heart and I, I was like, I mean, you know, we weren't filming. I was in the bathroom crying and they wanted me to go on camera and I was like, no, I'm not going to be a girl in a reality show crying. I will not. It would have been a perfect, I'm not here to make friends moment. (laughs) I know, I could have dropped that line. Um, but I like was there to make friends. I was like, (laughs) you guys, like, what are we doing after this? I wanted to hang out and go out every night of the show. Only John Reap would go out with me. But, um. And I just, I just assumed he was right. And then when it aired and I saw what everyone else did compared to what I did, I was like, I knocked that out of the park. I won that with flying colors and I had every right to be in that top five. And that was a really big lesson for me. And then watching other people stand up, because I think every comic you, you compare yourself to the people we're watching. It's like, but it, you know, I'm thinking Louie and Chris Rock, Bill Burr. But then you watch all the people with specials on TV and you're like, well, wait, I'm better than th- this other level. You know, I'm not Louie. I'm not Chris Rock, but I've got something to say. And I've really enjoyed watching comedians of all different all different types of comics. So um, 
whereas I, I think it has been sort of a um, a calculated. It's definitely been a calculated move. Like I know what I look like, uh, and by that I just mean I'm a girl, I'm young, and I am good looking enough that it's a little bit of a spectacle to be on television. So, and I've just used that to get people to listen to what I'm saying. And I feel like just now I'm coming into a moment where I don't need to use that anymore because people are paying attention, um, which is good because my physical stock is also plummeting. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, eat up. I mean, now who cares? I really? remember I said that to Atel one time. I was like, look, I've got five years left. And he was like, five. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Well, no, I love uh, your joke about the eyes. It's like one of my favorite jokes of the last bunch of years. The eyes? If there was a thing about my eyes, I'd know oh, it by now. Oh, thank you. That's yeah, that's the best. never a big hit at the clubs, but I love that. They're it's, wrong if they're not you. laughing. That's to me. As, See, that'll keep me That'll keep me believing in that joke. That I, is a great, no, that's a great joke. Thank you. Because, um, oh my God, it's so true. Guys it's are, true. Not you're like, like your eyes are lovely, but I'm just saying. If they were a thing, I would know about it by now. It's perfect. That's I remember a perfect I just, joke. Don't thank listen you. to anyone who says that's not a great I joke. I have this joke I've been doing and no one ever laughs at it but i think it's really funny and then on on new year's i just did a show and uh and one of the writers who's my friend christine nangle was in the audience and after she was like i love that joke and i was like well then i will do it forever because but no one had i just need approval from one person yeah well that makes sense yeah one and then you can keep going yeah it doesn't matter the three thousand people the silence from the the hordes it was sixty five hundred people and literally i could hear just her laughing that's Can I tell you the joke? Yeah, please say it. I say, I just went to my friend's kid's first birthday party, which is really sad because the kid's nine. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever. And it's just like a setup for the the real joke, but it's just always left in the air. Like no one ever laughs Yeah, but did it. you give it like a Dimitri level pause afterwards? That joke needs a pause. I did it pause. on an easel. <laughs> right. With a lute playing? And then I hit was a triangle a, after yeah, was there a lute? Went, ding! No, you just let people know when to laugh. Yeah, let, that's like a Pink Floyd lyric. You have to let yeah. the music play for a while <laughs> before. You know, that's what like Roger Waters would say a thing. And think then, about it. Yeah. It, 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 it. Yeah. yeah. Then it goes. You have to let the music play and play before the next line comes that's in. That's where I made the mistake. Yeah, don't just follow that one right up. Um, no, but I just want to chase this thing down because it does seem sometimes with female comedians and, and you that is like the way that people talk about um, basketball players. And like it's always that the white player worked so hard, but the black player can jump out of the gym. Yeah, like, oh, and right. It's like, oh, Larry Bird worked so hard, but you know, Magic John, you know, Michael Jordan can just jump like right. crazy. Of course, Jordan worked every bit as hard, and Larry Bird had incredible natural yeah. gifts. These are athletes. I think it's the, uh, thank you. Thank you, know, you so I much. Well, yeah. I think the, I think that, and I knew this would happen. Uh, I think that if no one's ever seen me, perform especially like live then like there's a stigma there's if you hear my name you picture like oh the fucking the the vagina drunk thing but that's somebody who's never watched me or hasn't really heard what i'm saying about it they just sort of and i that's fine like Right, so you're actually sang, kind of sanguine about it. It's only as long as other... Like, I'm wondering, which is the audience that it matters to? Because I know if I were sitting there and people were constantly just saying, like, oh, um, you know, uh, what a novel thing that you wrote a movie about poker. Like, oh, it's great. Someone finally wrote a movie about poker <laughs> when, about, during that time. I, I could have said, well, I haven't... Like, there were five screenplays that people wrote about poker right, right. then. None of those got made. Like, I would have been annoyed by that. That's a good point. I have and not ever thought about like that. you're annoyed by the fact that, like, lots of women... T- I mean, 
Lots of women talk, um, are interested in those issues and get up on stage yeah. and try to make them funny, yeah. only they don't make them funny. Mm-hmm. You make them funny. And, and even when you say, like, I mean, who do you think your peers are? You say you're not Lou, you're not Chris. I don't know. You, you created and write and star in your own television show. You just wrote a movie that Judd Apatow directed, and you're playing to 6,500 people. Right. If those aren't your peers, I mean, who are your peers? Um, that's a great question. I, I'm not them because I've only been doing stand-up for 10 years. Um, my peers are my friends, but in terms of the people who are at are selling the the amount of tickets I'm selling right now, uh, I don't know. I don't really know. I feel like I'm in this weird in between because it's like you know I was doing clubs. I was op- <laughs> after last comic. I had a year. You get a year of headlining from that. Um, B C rooms, and then. I went back to open. I opened for Norton for two years in in Natal, and then started headlining again. C rooms, D room, you know, making fifteen hundred dollars for nine shows, and then and then it just since it's just been building a little every year, and then it became like rock clubs, maybe three hundred people, and and now it's I'm not doing sixty five hundred is is. Um, the most I've ever performed to where it was just my name on the the bill. Yeah. That's, that's by far the most, but I'm doing like three, three or 4,000 seat theaters now. And I don't know anybody else doing that. I didn't even know that that was a size theater. 3,000 seaters. Yeah. Berbiglia does those actually. You may not, maybe, I don't know if you, you know. I love Berbiglia. Me too. You must know that. We're buddies. I love that guy. I loved him on here. Yeah. No, he's the best. Um, (laughs) So, when I ask you to think about who your peers are, like which are the so it's those women are the ones you care about yeah. what they think of your material. When when well, it, no, I mean I I want the crowd to laugh. I I want my I ask my sister first, is this funny? And then she says no, <laughs> no, <laughs> and then um, I I want to think it's funny, and then uh, but but these these comedians are my best friends and they're some of my favorite comics. Like I could watch Judy Gold or Jessica Kirsten every night of my life and be happy when i yeah but when i watched when i watched the wife swap episode with judy and emily gillette penn's wife i have to say it made me so deeply uncomfortable i didn't see that i saw the one with gilbert and his wife you were so good at interviewing gilbert that's that is a feat you are a masochist even to attempt that what is it about i know this is my interview but what is it about you like i have some friends that are they're just dro- like Neil Brennan. I love maybe Neil. a little Chelsea. The f- two of my my favorite people in the world, and they're just like drawn to be around a lot of black people. And I think that part of that is like the sort of masochism. I think they love that culture, but the masochism of like they will never accept you as one of their own. They want to like, be why? outsiders. Yeah, wh- no, but they want in. It's just you know, it, it's like what is it that. There's like the curiosity and the love of it, but then there's also like a little bit of masochism in it or something. You mean like, to wait? No, what, how are you connecting that to me and Gilbert? I'm connecting it to you because like Gilbert's someone that it's, it would be scary to interview and it will, it will take a lot of a lot of energy from you, even as someone coming to him like with total love. Like you're you're like Jane Goodall, like just like, uh, I true. love you. It's a perfect analogy with Gilbert. <laughs> he would probably accept that. Oh, he would totally accept it. Um, didn't he do the voice of the monkey? It the was so, yeah. So I thought like it would be impossible. But you did such a great job. I've never heard him talk about anything. Uh, like I've you. never heard him and he he actually talked about his feelings and his opinions, and I was like, "You are the Gilbert Whisperer." Like, 
I've I've spent hours and I've hours with him. Never have I had a moment of a conversation with him. Not a real one, anyway. It was so satisfying. There was a moment just towards the end where he acknowledged um, actually caring about something. And I, I, I wanted to take a victory lap. I couldn't believe I got just the slightest grunt out of him acknowledging it. But again, like Gilbert, that's an example where I think that guy, I don't think people understand how how shockingly great he, like when he started doing the thing that he did. Yeah. He really, like you were even too young, like what he did in 1980 and 81 was insane. Was it? I don't he know would, that. Because he would show up. I think a, he's amazing and he has he has made me laugh harder than maybe anyone like in pain doubled over like begging for mercy he would just come at things there's a reason like Penn calls him and I agree with this like Miles Davis like he chased an idea of what he thought was funny yeah and he's a guy who could like the thing people would always say about Caso, you know like oh he could draw before he started doing the abstract um stuff you know he could draw beautifully like if Gilbert wanted to just make a crowd laugh he could just tell he could kill anytime he wanted to back then and then he would just chase the craziest ideas down just because he wanted to. And you would be in a comedy club before there was alt comedy. Yeah. And he would be coming at the thing from a vector you couldn't even relate to or understand. I remember being 14 and 15. That's how old I was. And David Steinberg took me to see him. And it was like, um, oh, this is a, you know, a real an artist. And you rarely, in your life, how many real artists you come across who are like chasing something that's never catchable. I need to watch watch old you can Gilbert find that stuff old because stuff. I I mean I think he's an absolute genius but I I I've never yeah, seen because that. Because it's more also because coming at things doing that kind of abstract comedy because he did it then many more people have done it since. It's like yeah. you kind of have to watch you know, I mean he tells this story, he told it somewhere where he went out one night and and was like uh someone asked him like Merv or something asked him why are you telling these jokes about what everyone else tell, says, and Gilbert said, like, what am I going to do? Talk about the taxi cab and the plane ride and the whatever, and he walked off stage, and Jimmy Walker goes, you that's just did my act. act. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how he exploded yeah. The, yeah. the whole thing. But wait, back to you, because um, I'm not, you can't skate. Uh, <laughs> I Because I want to go to a couple things. That night that you, so you find this joke, you're like, I don't want to go home, I want to work on this joke, and then you caught the bug, and you started going around town, how did you start kind of like measuring where you were? And then did your writing change? Like, did you start, um, how, how, how did the scope of your ambition become greater in a way? Well, my writing was fueled by the shows I was doing. So I was doing um, bringers, which meant, you know, you real audience. Friends. You have to bring your friends, but then that's a real audience. And those shows were great because people are very supportive of their friends and it's a real audience. But then I was also barking, so standing outside saying, do you want to see comedy um, for hours? It's freezing. Sometimes you'd be out there for two or three hours and to get maybe 10 minutes of stage time in a basement where the people were all just from other countries and confused why like you got them in this basement. And... Uh, and and open mics so i would have to learn and an open mic is literally worthless unless you cuz it's all comedians and everyone's very depressed there the the energy at open mics like i would like to find a route i can only imagine and 95% of them are if not crazy, really close to crazy yeah because For real, i mean I'm not, being, not like they're really almost crazy rampant with mental illness yeah, there's just these characters that you're like, oh, he's been running this mic for 20 years, like, and yeah, and he's 
completely mentally ill. Um, and those are rooms where my, that that really fueled a lot of my um, first jokes because it was I have to surprise these people into laughing. I have to make them laugh despite themselves. It's you're not going to get it. No one's going to. Oh, great job. It's just no support. So I learned how to do well at open mics. I learned how to do well in front of people that didn't speak English. And I learned how to be the one who was the killer, the bringer. And what was your goal then? Like, so you wanted to make the jokes really great. Did you, was it well on stage? Did you think, oh, I want to pass at a certain room? No, I I literally zero goals. It was like, I just wanted to do better on stage. So it was like, and it's, it was just joke by joke getting a set together that was strong. So I remember this one night I had done four shows, probably three of them were open mics and I'm on the subway on the way home and I'm like, this is the worst. What am I doing? My boyfriend is going to break up with me. I'm just like this absentee chick. And and, and on the subway on the way home, I really did have this experience with this little old woman sitting next to me. And she, we were just talking. She's a little old black lady, like very old. And she asked me if I had heard the good news. And I said, um, our exchange was, I just said no. No, and I didn't know what it was a segue into. And then she she invited me to her church. Right, yeah. And then, uh, and that and that was it. And I just said, "Oh no, I'm Jewish." Like, and, and she was like, "Oh, your people just haven't found Jesus." And I, and that was it. That was like our true interaction. That was it. I was like, "Thank you." But then I wrote the joke. I changed it to, "She said, have you heard the good news?" And I said, "No, are, are Brad and Jennifer getting back together?" Like this is when I wrote. <laughs> yeah. the and then she said, no. And then, you know, the, oh, no, she was inviting me to her church. She was trying to save me. And uh, I said, oh, my people are Jewish. Jewish. She said, oh, your people just haven't found Jesus. And I said, no, we found him. Maybe you haven't heard the bad news. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. and I wrote that joke and I thought, oh, this is a great joke. And I remember I called my sister. I said, is this good? And she said, yeah. And, I, you know, I called a couple of friends. It's good. And I couldn't wait to try it that night. And then I went out and tried it, figured out the timing, figured it out. And then, you know. That's one little chunk. And then just getting that set together. And I had no goal. No goal. No, I want to get on Letterman one day. I want to do a... I, the first thing that happened was I got a college agent. There was a college agent in the crowd. And she said, do you want to do Wait, colleges? Wait, what kind of crowd? Because had you, had it was you a bringer passed at, at a certain point? No. no, you still hadn't passed I hadn't clubs. Passed anywhere. Where, meaning you could perform at clubs in the city. You still yeah. had to do either bringers or pay to do open mics. Yes. Or bark people in. And so you had that joke when you were doing bringers. Yeah. Did you get to where you were closing the Breyer shows? No. No. Bill Burr and Jim Gaffigan or Jessica were closing the Breyer shows when I started. And, uh, they would Ted just Alexandro. come in. Yeah. They weren't doing Breyer still, though. No, no. They, they were the pros. In, they were the pros at they the would get, shows. They would throw the audience a bone, <laughs> give right. them like one real comic, right. and then just watch their friends like, you know, burn their dreams. And uh, <laughs> so... I got a college agent, and then I, hearing Berbiglia's story, he, he talked about like the first time he made oh, it, yeah. whatever. For me, it was she called and she was like, "Last minute, do you want to do this show? It's it's an upstate college. I had to fly into Ottawa to do this, and it was in the middle of January, so cold, like nobody wanted to do the show." Were you confident in your set? Did no. you know? Right, that's what, what did you feel about an the material? I, I was like, but she was like, "You're going to make eight hundred dollars an old, hour." How old were you? Twenty. 
24. So 24, like just actually still like college, almost still college age. I couldn't believe it. Like I was just running back and forth through my apartment, just which was very small. So it was actually just like doing suicides. And I was just like, (laughs) like, I was like, would I be this happy if I ever had a baby? Like I was just so, it it feels like the most money I've ever made in my life. And um, I did an hour. It was garbage um Did, the kids were fine you know it's a college what it's do you like, mean it was garbage i mean in retrospect i'm sure if i watched you think that the hour, jokes were like lax and long <laughs> yeah, and not just i didn't have an hour i probably had 20 20 minutes and ten, still not good 10 good ten, minutes ten, seven maybe <laughs> seven and then and then i got passed for late night at the comic strip and then i got passed at gotham and then did you consider yourself comedian no when did you consider yourself a comedian uh, maybe in like two years. <laughs> no. Right. Um, no, when did you now? feel like, no. okay, I could really sit at the table with the comedians and I'm really like... Probably two years into being passed at the cellar. So five or six years into stand-up. Like it was, I was already headlining and I didn't still didn't feel like a comedian. Um, you mean yeah, you I was like making my living. Working was, at it. I was making my living doing stand-up. And that's when I thought, I can introduce myself and if someone says, what do you do? I can say I'm a comedian. But you wouldn't have before that? No. What would you have said? I sort mail. <laughs> I'm a bartender. Yeah. I mean, I would have said how I made money. Right. And so By you, trade, you know, it's like, what do you do? You think you're supposed to say what you do for a living. But you still were working at it all the time. Would you, yeah. And you, did you feel like um, when you were doing your regular jobs, like dead inside? Yeah. Hated it. Yeah. And would you get... Uh, I, I started just being the service bartender because I was being too mean to customers. Nice. <laughs> they were like, Amy, just... And have then, a personality. Come on, Schumer, have a personality. I was just so mad. I, it, the, the, the fury of somebody tipping you and feeling like entitled to your conversation. I still feel that way, by the way. If I have to do a meet and greet or something where like they buy time with you, I'm just so creeped out by that. So don't do them. I, I say no, but some of the things you have to do them. Like what? Like some casinos, it's just part of the deal is like you have to go in a room with the VIPs for 10 minutes. And Would Louie do that, do you think? If it were enough money, we'd all think, do it. Really? I mean, it's not often, but it's the, no, the but last No, you can say one. no. Don't you think you oh, can yeah. say no to it now? Trust me. I try and get out of it any way possible. Sometimes you cannot get out of it. Right. But no, I, mean, I mean, I know guys who were on The Sopranos and like their favorite thing in the world is because they still get to make, like guys who were on The Sopranos but weren't in the main cast, oh my God. they still get to go, they're like, uh, I, I there's one guy I have lunch with a few times a year. He's the greatest guy in the world. I won't say this, but I'm like, hey, he'll call and be like, I can't have, uh, I got to cancel lunch. We got a Sopranos gig at Foxwoods. A meet and greet? Yeah, and I'll go, what do you mean a Sopranos gig? He'll go, no, 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 up at Foxwoods. Oh, my God. It's great. We go with the high rollers. They come in. We get, they throw us a meal and like two grand. I split it with Bobby Bacala and, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. They do it. That's really, yeah. that's, that's my worst nightmare. Right. So, no, that's, well, that's what you're doing. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, they're paying you a lot, like a fortune for what I'm saying. No, they're not to have to do it. Um, and to have to do it, it's it's not. There's no like, they'll give you this much more if you meet people. It's not like that. It's like the whole deal. Of playing yeah, the I will always say no. It would. I mean, it would have to be seriously like the czar of a country type money for me to want to talk to I so to act like someone who's never seen The Godfather. I'm like, say no to the casino. <laughs> Tell those casino people that you'll do it on your terms, not I'm their not in terms. I'm the mood. Yeah. Like, I feel like I might get my period today. Yeah. What kind of an idiot am I? Like, you're going to come in here with your pinky broken I know, off. I know. Well, Koppelman said I could say no. Who's this Koppelman? Wait, that's a good segue to, can we tell the story? 
that. Say anything you want. Okay. Yeah. So oh, your my here. sister Kim, is here. Step up to the Kim, mic. Will you come over here to the mic? Okay. So Kim um, is. I'm lucky that she's with me a lot. She's a writer on my show. So Kim uh, was at the cellar with me, uh, the comedy cellar, and Keith Robinson, who I'm told has come up on here before. He's come up a few times, yeah. He's a comedian, air quotes. Uh, no, wow. he's he's hilarious. Legendary. I'm going to have Legendary. him on the show for sure, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have him on. He's so funny. And um, But there's no one in the world that we have more fun making fun of he is the greatest comedian to trash he fell on stage at the cellar <laughs> a couple months ago and i got the dvd and filmed it on my phone and just sent it out to every, and it it kind of went viral keith has no information about anything oh really he, yeah we were at the cellar the other night and he was talking about <laughs> he was like just talking about appreciating great art he's like i love art he's like you gotta nobody really appreciates great art anymore and uh and i go keith <laughs> if you can name <laughs> Two artists. I'll give you a thousand dollars. Couldn't name one artist. Like I was like anyone. I was giving him hints toward Basquiat. Like n I was like Basket, but in like a fancy. Couldn't no information. So anyway, so one night Kim, will you will you take over and say what happened? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I barely remember. So tell what happened. So I was I was sitting at I was sitting at the table and um, it was almost Christmas and so we were talking about me going back to Chicago and I was really excited because I was going to be going back to my casino. Oh, Kim's an amazing poker player. Oh right, yeah. Because uh, so, I was going to be going back to my casino and seeing my poker friends and I was really excited about that. And I was saying, you know, it's a small room, it's a three table room, and so we all got pretty close and um and he was just trashing me saying like nobody looks forward to seeing their poker friends you're a gambling addict and I was like no it's it's different so I'm trying to explain to him ah. that just because it's in a casino it's poker is less of a gamble than uh, blackjack is I was just gonna say I was gonna say that Kim's friends at the casino it's like my friends at the cellar like that those are your people Right, so they're they're who we like. Yeah, you we spend a lot of time with these we, we people. We spend a lot sure. of time with them and get to know them. I'm friends with the guys I play poker with. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So he's he's saying that um, poker is just as much of a gamble as blackjack is, and I'm trying to explain to him that because it's you're not playing against the house, that you're playing against other players. More skill goes into it, therefore it's less gambling and it's more of a skill than blackjack is. And he is furious and just <laughs> trashed me. And I said, Keith, ask literally ask anybody in here. Ask. Pick anybody in here to ask, and they will support my argument. You can even present it. They'll support me. So we saw Gary walking by, and I said, Gary. Goleman and I was yeah. there, yeah. So I was like, Gary, like, I explained the argument. I was like, who's who's right here? And he said, oh, I don't know, but you should ask my friend Brian Koppelman. He wrote Rounders. <laughs> and so Keith was dying because Brian, Brian was sitting. Yeah, so he kind of tapped, tapped you in. And, uh, and I presented the argument, didn't say whose side who was on. And Keith acknowledged that whoever you chose, like he would accept as the victor of the the argument. This and is adamant fighting you, adamant fighting me, furious. And you so quickly just like trashed every single point of his argument, <laughs> hitting on every point that I had said with such confidence that he was really he was speechless for the first time that I'd ever. And I've seen him argue things that obviously has no idea about, but he'll he'll stick to his guns no matter what. But you shut him down so efficiently that it was really like the air shifted in the room. Like, <laughs> the, uh, the people the there. Ever I heard yeah. about it. So, you know, the only part of it I remember differently is you didn't tell Keith 
that I wrote rounders till after. <laughs> oh, you told, and it was you, Amy. Was you me. told them <laughs> because, uh, and I, because I heard about it like months later oh, when God. I went back. Lenny Marcus goes, oh, "You're the guy who shut Keith up." <laughs> but no, what happened was you go. You this is the part I remember. I didn't remember what I said. That's the when I said I don't remember. What I the only part I remember is whatever I said at the end. Keith was kind of like, "Well, who's this guy?" Oh, that's right. That's right. And then yes. Schumer, you, Amy, you go, "Guy who wrote rounders." And then Keith went. <laughs> Oh fuck! Yeah, you know I'm I mean, done. That was very sad. I th- that's the part. I just remember the end. That's the only time he's ever because he'll argue till he's dead. But that's the only time he ever. He's like, oh damn it! Like he just <laughs> finally just shut up for one minute. Oh uh, well, I'm glad uh, that I could help out. Yes, I was so glad that to help was... out. And you can come play in my. Uh, what game do you play? I, what do you I like to play on the mic? So we're on a mic. I play one two usually, but I mean it's an hour and a half drive to the nearest poker room from the city. I mean so. Do you I go will, to Foxwoods or AC usually? Um, I went to the Sands in Bethlehem, um, but most oh, recently. Oh, you're a junkie. You are gambling. Yeah, I am. You're a, a gambler. gambling junkie. You're a gambling. I miss junkie. poker so much. You're barely playing poker. You're sitting down and just put it. You want action so badly. Yeah, I'm. I'm just like accumulating fifty cents a minute for the buffet. For the ha- yeah. Um, no, I. But I would play anything. I. I played in Mohegan Sun this past week, and I was like, Oh, I have a really good game now. I'll get you into this game. Thank you. But they're a good. Yeah, you'll and uh, it could use uh, an, a woman. Cool. Um, Vanessa Selbs is going to play one night, but they were very clear. Like Vanessa, they were like, <laughs> so awesome. "No, they oh go, they go." Vanessa can come one night that she can't. She can play once because really fun to play with Vanessa. Money. One night and out. Yeah, that's the, the buy-in that night is five dollars. Right, I'm going to let you go soon, but I have a couple of things that I have to sure. ask you about. So somebody slipped me um, train wreck the script. Oh, cool. And because um, <laughs> I was really interested when I heard you were, um, you know, doing this and that you'd written a movie. Yeah. And there's this line in it. First of all. Great job. You really did write um, a, an excellent screenplay. I'm sure it was hard to do. Yeah. And Thank you. And I'm sure you were scared part of the time writing yeah. it. Yeah. That was like, I have no right to be doing this. And if I hadn't been getting encouragement the whole time, I would have been like, yeah, of course I shouldn't write a movie. That's ridiculous. But there's this line in the movie uh, early on where your character is uh, smoking a joint and or a vape or whatever. And, and yeah, one hitter. Someone looks at you askance, and and your character says, "Are you proud of every moment of your life?" <laughs> and, well, no, and it occurs to me that that seems like your like the character you are on stage and stuff. That seems like your battle cry. That's in a great. Way. I love that. Yeah, that's definitely. That's definitely. I mean, I now now I know what my T-shirt's going to say. I've got my merch planned. That's a great T-shirt for you. Are you proud of for every you? moment of your life? Yeah. That's, you could say that. I should just say that at the end of every joke yeah. I say. Well, it is like to me. I was thinking that's like the callback of your act all the time. It's yeah. like that's so. Yeah, that's and, so true. And I loved that you just put that in a movie. You saying it because it distills. In such, you know, however few words it is, it so distills, I think, why you resonate. You know, you tell these jokes, they're hilarious, but then the thing that I, that, that's different is you are the, the, the uh, you know, I think all of us uh, want to be judged in our best moments, not our, our worst moments, but we all know about our worst moments. Why, you don't want to be judged by your best moments? I think my best moments are also my worst moments, I think. That's like, great. I mean, yeah, because I, I feel like I, I, I think I just do. I like jokes and I like setups and punchlines, but I also like what I'm saying in the story. I, I, I feel brave and I feel like 
I'm putting myself out there in a way that doesn't make everyone want to um, associate themselves with me or sleep with me or whatever. And uh, what do you mean that makes doesn't make people want to associate with you? I mean, I think whatever stigma is attached to me now, like people. And I don't feel this way. And it surprises me when someone says, oh, you're you're that dirty girl. Like, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like I'm just talking about the stuff that interests me. Cause, but I just don't. I'm not saying anything to try to shock people. I feel like I'm just talking about, about stuff that I think is funny or saying something that I think is funny. Like... Um, and just reminding everyone that we're all human and, and that no one should be shocked by this stuff because we're all dealing with it. And if you're not, then that's fine. And there are other comedians out there for you. Yeah. yeah but, 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 but wait, what do you mean about people not wanting to associate with you? Like you feel like your act has created sometimes a stigma or like you think like you go some guy like where people wouldn't want to sleep with you because they think you are your you are your act. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. And these are people you might want to sleep with. You think? No. Right. Yeah. No, no, but um, but it's it definitely is a choice to uh to sort of like yeah re- remove myself a little bit from um f- from what would be an easier path for me. I think like here here's what I'm saying. So I think Lena Dunham's work is so yeah. amazing, and 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 it's also like that she wrote that book. And all this stuff, because you're just catching her at this amazing time where, uh, you know, and I know Gilbert talked about like, there's just this amazing time when you're an artist that's first out there putting stuff out there and getting recognition for it. And you don't know to be guarded yet. You don't know to protect yourself more and put up these boundaries to protect yourself because, you, you know, what people use against you is sometimes completely arbitrary and... And you don't know what the thing people are going to latch on to and it'll become your thing. And then once you learn that and more people are responding to your material and what you're putting out, then you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be giving people this much information, this much insight into my darkest moments because they will use it against me or or judge me or not want to be close to me. And that, I think, changes an artist. So I am doing my very best not to let that affect me knowing that I could say something then and it could be the like if it's a slow news day could be the thing that people want to burn you for just with our sort of gotcha society of everybody being just ready to hate the next thing um so I would say some studios or some networks or whatever or some people just like it, it goes back to me being where I grew up and everybody, um, it was a really Irish Catholic, pretty wealthy town and we were Jewish and had money and then lost money. We went bankrupt. So we, everyone in the town was very, most people were very kind of like we weren't, Jewish people weren't allowed to join the golf club. You weren't allowed to join the beach clubs. And I was looked at by my friends' parents and the, all the parents, like um, the girls on my volleyball team, just like a little bit of like, uh, you know. And I was, I, I was like, why do I have to call you Mrs. Whatever? Like, why can't I call you Barbara? You know, I've always just right. been like, why? What, what's with all this pretension and 
why can't we just talk? You know, I've always felt that way and I've always been made to feel like something was kind of wrong with me that I wanted to take the, um, just like the prestige out of things. Like I just wanted everybody to deal with each other as equals and humans. And so I was like shunned a little bit. I, I, I was a popular kid. I had a good high school experience, but I felt judged and, um, and a little bit dismissed, especially by my friend's parents, not all of them, but, and so I think, you know, that there's some projection of that and coming from that world, but I'll definitely feel that still now. Even the front row of my show on uh, on New Year's at the Mohegan Sun. And, you know, if you're sitting front center in this, like, arena, you've got money. And, the you know, I would say some jokes and the women were just kind of like, oh, oh, gosh. Like, I just not, – that's not what I do. I had this one <laughs> – I said this one thing. I'm, it's new and it's disgusting. Well, please say it. And let me just I, tell people my daughter's no longer here, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Because I said yeah, at the beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she hasn't been here and won't hear you. Yeah, so ahead. I had this joke. I was like, my goal this year, my, my New Year's resolution, is just a thought. I, I said to my friend Bridget Everett, and we just both laughed. I said, I, I, said, I just want to this year just take off a pair of underwear and have it not look like I blew my nose in it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So disgust. So I say that, and I uh, and I look at because that's the thing, and it's like that's not a beautiful part of the world. But women, our bodies pr- produce discharge, and w- I feel like we're so punished for being born with ovaries, and that people just make you feel so. So to just say that and just have like people laugh and feel like, oh yeah, that you I'm felt not alone. Approval from the front row. They were look. They were judging so hard. And they were, and I went, oh, does that not happen to you? And the women went, no. And I went, oh, so you take your underwear off your, you're just, you just pick up underwear on your floor. Like, I don't know if I've worn this or not yet. <laughs> I started crawling on on the floor toward them going, oh. And I was like, look, when I take off my underwear, it looks like Charlotte's Web. Like, that's uh, just how it, there's cool. like words in it. It says like, <laughs> some pig. <laughs> Salutations. Um, and... So it's that same, and that's the thing I'm fighting against. Like, no one's better than anyone. You've all had sex. People have come inside you. I'm sorry. I know your daughter likes. Um, um, is a fan of mine and might listen to this, so just don't oh, let I'm her listen. I'm not going to let her listen. She's <laughs> not even 15 years old. She, she's, she's not? No. Oh, she's gosh. Okay. Almost 15. She won't listen. In three years, she can listen. Sure. Um, and uh, I just, but it's like, and I say things like that to be like, we're all... We're all humans, and we shouldn't feel bad about this Right, but stuff. then you think you notice that people are reacting to you. Sometimes you feel some, like Just some people. Uh, they think of you like as lower, like you've, you've, you're gross. Yeah, or like I think in some ways, and this is a total projection, but in some ways people in the industry, like on the agency side or the more businessy side, like with, you know, with these Sony hacks and everything, it's like, I think in some ways that we actors, just like in the old days, like we still are looked at as like these prostitutes and especially comedians, like just these dirty road dogs who are novelty and like they have the real power or something. It's fear, too, though. Don't you think from a woman, like if it's from guys, aren't they just scared of a woman in a way who's like yeah, you don't really hear... frankly talking about this stuff and owning it? I mean, isn't that right? I mean, you know, when what you... Co- what male comics do you hear associated with sex? Like, what male comics do they say? Oh, he's a sex comic. Norton. 
<laughs> that's I mean, true. By the way, he, I mean, you know, honestly, oh, yeah. I don't want to be in a room with that guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not gross. with a massage listen, table listen, in it. That's gross. Um, that's I know, different. and he's one of my best friends. That's but you know what? I agree with yeah, you. And you and I would funny. classify Norton that way. But I seriously don't think that he would be described as a sex comic in the, by the general himself, population. Right? I mean, he. Nah, I imagine I, he would say that he. He talks about that stuff. He just made a decision Maybe, to be like really open about that. Maybe, but Attell has so that. much, so much material. All the every guy also has so much material about sexuality and all this stuff. But they they just don't get that same. They, they don't get the same uh, stigma that I that I do. Well, you, you would know because you feel. I mean, obviously, you feel it in a certain way. But I was heartened. I looked at your Twitter feed and I looked at the at mentions to see if people were just going to be were gross. Yeah, how were they? Not so gross. What like, what when was it? Just today, like today. I just want to see like on a random morning. Yeah, what oh, people cool. were tweeting at you, and mostly yeah. it was like you're great. You know, yeah. not um, because I thought. Oh, I, I wondered if there would be like this heavy misogyny or no. Like, I, well, this it depends. Christian right wing. You know this 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 um fundamentalist sort of like I don't get that. I don't get that very much. I'm I'm shocked by that. The only time I get that is if I tweet anything even remotely political just about like, you know, just like letting people know they could register for healthcare or something um or you know, just any events going on um like I reposted the uh the video of I can't breathe and people are just like, "Well, why don't you you know?" And that's when but other than that and then you know, it's like every day probably Three people say that I'm physically disgusting. Yeah, I only saw one guy who wrote about having like a dream, you know, a sex dream. A sex about dream, you. but it, it was well, pretty I nice. <laughs> I don't mind those. I don't. That's that's sweet. I what a compliment. Somebody wrote um, yesterday. And I showed my. Oh wait, wait, wait. I showed my sister. It, they tweeted. Um, Ugh, Amy Schumer. I tried to watch her rape jokes. No thanks. She's like she and she looks like a more annoying Jennifer Lawrence. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I was like, like ah. And yeah. sometimes I would write back and be like, it's not rape jokes. I'm pointing out that everyone has had, like a lot of people have had this other grade of rape that's not being thrown in the bushes like on Law and Order. But um, but I was just too moved by her Jennifer Lawrence comparison that <laughs> I was even just, like bother. Yeah, I was it. just like, can I send you an edible arrangement? That's so <laughs> that's nice. Perfect. <laughs> what, um, have you met J-Law? No, no. I bet Have you? She, no, I bet. Yes, I met her. She was awesome when I met her. Really? So smart. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a I'm while such ago. A fan. She's a brilliant actress. I mean, she's. Um, as someone who reads only young adult books, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you what you like to read as a writer. Um, I like to read historic fiction. I like to read a lot of autobiographies about comedians and entertainers. And then recently, I've been reading those Elena Ferrante books. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. The strike. I've always wanted to make a movie out of the comedy strike. That oh, book yeah. is incredible. It's very hard to do. Jim Carrey owns the book, but oh, okay. that seemed like it'd be incredible. Like, did you have yeah. you read that book? No, because if you like reading about comedians, I love reading about. It's great because Leno and Letterman and all those guys—they I mean, they led this strike against yeah. the comedy store so that they could get paid. That's so awesome. We tried to do that here. When? Well, Ted Alexander like led the led where? the troops for where? Um, for I mean, just to unionize. How'd that go? I mean, not great. All right. <laughs> no, but you know what? They gave us a raise. What? Um, they gave us a nice raise. What? Just we'll finish on 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 this. So you're gonna about to go make the third season of your show, and I talked to Jesse a little bit about um, being in charge of a thing and, and running. Before a thing. we start talking about that, I just wanted to also use this as an opportunity to say that the worst people in comedy that I've ever encountered, the worst people, are the people who run comics at Foxwoods. 
Really? Why yeah. are they so bad? They're, they don't treat comedians well. They don't let you have friends in the green room, which is crazy. If I, I had like a friend there who was a kindergarten teacher, and they just, they just, um, nickel, they're... When was this? Always. Do you play that room still? No, I'm in the, the theater now. Oh, you're in the theater. You got in the theater there. Yeah, in the so theater. You but you yeah. know what? I just promised myself I would use this as an opportunity. There are also lovely, wonderful bookers all over the country. Chris Mazzilli owns Gotham's the first one who ever said, like, I think you've got something special. Um, and uh, But comics at, at Foxwoods. Comics at Foxwoods. They're not nice. They're they're the worst. And they gouge. They like to gouge you. Nickel and dime. You were about to say the they're nickel mon- and dime. They're you. monsters. They're monsters, and they don't know it. They're, they'll hear this. Someone will tell them, and they'll go, oh, she's she's such a bitch. But I've heard them talk about female comics in a way that's- um, How? Like alluding to that they were like, oh, I almost slept with her. Not about me, but they're no, not- No, almost. When it comes to you, there's they're no almost. Not, no, no. <laughs> they're, they're not good. They're not good. They, they should, if they hear this, I'm not trying to be mean, but they should be nicer. They should treat comedians better. Every comedy booker out there, if you have a room- if anybody listens to this, you should treat comedians better because we are the ones that make money for you. How have you been treated cr- shitty? The, by those on the oh, road? On yeah, the road? On the, how, well, wh- just as ha- a girl, you get off stage and they're like, wow, that was pretty dirty. And it's like, oh, did you say that to a tell when he got off? Did you did you pull him into it? Wow, you talk about sex a lot. Do you, did you do that to Norton? Um, they do say it to Big J sometimes. <laughs> he's told me. Big J said he's sometimes giving giving back. I'm like, guys are like, you're not playing tomorrow night. Oh, he's so funny. I, that's happened to Kurt, too. He's gotten. Really? Yeah, Metzger. Metzger, yeah. No, I oh know my God, that Jay. So funny. I know that that happened to Jay. I heard him yeah. talk about it. Once. I like I'm, your friend. I love and I love Soder. He's so funny. Oh, he's hilarious. No, Jay. I'm obsessed with Jay because um, uh, I've said this now, because Jay to me, if Jay would just, if Jay would just, if he would work even a little hard. I know, but you, you I've know. said it. To, he's. I think he's the most talented human at comedy I like just, I've ever met yeah. in my life. And you just think, hey, Big Jay Oakerson. I want Jay come on the show and we'll talk about it, but. I I I will sometimes watch him and I'll be like, you are. He'll, right before he goes on, he'll say, "Give me something to talk about." Right, and, and I'll say it. some crazy thing that you know I could say to him, you know, knockwurst, and then he'll go up there and do ten minutes that'll slay everybody. Yeah, and it'll be in the wind the next he's day. He'll brilliant. never say it again. He's brilliant, and I wonder if he. Is like well, he's got the radio show coming out with Soder and and but but you know you never know with those guys like Keith. Yeah. I twice I've booked him on my TV show and he just like bailed the last second. I made him be in the movie. He's in train. You put all. I mean, it's great. You're totally loyal and put everybody in everything. Well, I I just think my friend like they're they the are they're great people. and you put them in stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a favor, but yeah. So but Keith, you know, like there's these people where you feel like. They want to keep themselves in their comfort zone. And I don't know if Jay's a person like that. Maybe, maybe I don't not. Know I don't, that well. I don't know I've spent a well good enough. amount of time with Jay. I really yeah. like him. But, I, but, but beyond liking him, I watch him and I do have this feeling of um, you could be so, you, you could be doing work that's like on the highest possible level yeah. all the time. I know. If you would just work at it for five, like, you know, you see someone that gifted and like yeah. all the work, every people put in you know how much you love jay that's how much i don't love the people who work at foxwoods there. <laughs> wow this is my favorite thing ever that's gonna be a poll quote you know like i do those little I know. Poll quotes on twitter i know that's gonna be but i just want to talk about the one thing about the the, <laughs> the movie no you know i don't care who, like, who pauses care. a podcast to trash but they're just not nice to comics but you know it's else? hard on the road it's who, so hard on the road who else do you want to trash that's it no one else no 
No one else. I, I love comedians. I love our world. I'm, I'm really lucky. But, like, just... The bookers just be, just pay another hundred dollars so the comic any, can stay in a nicer uh, any hotel. Any pot dealers who gave you beet pot that you want to? No, I, I would say that I want to thank the people at the Atlanta Punchline for great pot. Okay, good. So they they delivered. <laughs> they came across weed. for you. Yeah, and then I mean, there's there's I've I don't I don't feel like an unscorned woman. <laughs> like I definitely buy a bunch of clubs, but I just think in general, if you are a club owner, like. Just splurge for the $20 for a cab so that the comedian doesn't have to get picked up in some car that doesn't have a bottom to it by the guy, the dishwasher you just hired who has like eight priors, you know, just like splurge. Take care of comics just a little more. Don't make them do morning radio when you know it's not going to pull even one more person to the club. It's just to promote your stupid Thursday night show that it's your fault you couldn't fill. Just be nicer to the comedians. Don't have your child in the green room. Don't invite your friends back. Don't make them get to the club an hour early and do a sound check. Don't make them stay after to take pictures with the staff. Don't give them a discount on their meals. Just buy them their meals. (laughs) Your disgusting basket of onion rings from the fryer you haven't washed. You're just lucky that John Taffer hasn't come in there. You would get a Z on the health code. Just treat comedians better. It's so hard. And and we're not your friends. Don't make us feel bad if we don't want to stay and drink with you. Is that for all the bookers or just Foxwoods, that part? This whole thing is just for Foxwoods. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, the result of this is that the Foxwood guys who wanted to charge you to let your friend go in the room, they're going to get a pat on the back from the, their bosses, and that Atlanta club is going to get busted now. So you've, you've done really well. No, all right. La- lastly, all right, what was it like? No, there's no sorry. This is awesome. Uh, it's perfect. I want to see, like, the waves that happen as a result of that. But um, when... Being a and com- also just pay us at the end of the weekend. Don't make us sit there in your cold, smoke-filled, unventilated office with your shitty carpet and your space heaters and make us wait so that you can piece together if we're getting an extra nine ninety nine. And give the comedians a bonus if they deserve it. Don't make us stand in the back with a clicker to make sure... When's the last time you played that room? <laughs> like two years. Are you sure the same people run Three it? Three years. Oh, yeah. They're going to die there. Maybe sooner now. Hey. <laughs> because the, maybe because no, of I wish those guys the best, but they need to take a look at themselves and be nicer to comedians. All right. I won't interrupt again. I, I love that you just said, I wish those guys the best, as though that might make up for some of what you just said. Well, no. I just, I want, I want. They are, I think they're unreachable, and they'll just vilify me for saying it, but they really should just take a look at themselves and just see that they just fill every just comedian who you... walks in there with dread. No, no, my, the rant I just did was for every club in the, in the country. Right. But, um, but specifically, uh, that, that club is the worst because of those guys. That's awesome. No, I mean that's the best thing. I mean, it's I'm not sure. Fair. My, I don't well, work there anymore. I've been, I've been lucky. I, I, you know, it's going well. I do theaters, but yeah. my friends are still there. Now, and someone I who like... notices all this kind of stuff. So this is what I say. What did it feel like to you? You're a comedian. You get to control so much of what it is that you do, and then to become a screenwriter. And yeah, you're starring in the movie, and it's your movie, and Judd is your ally. But 
how did you negotiate those waters of not having total creative control over your thing? And then having, like, um, you know, when the locations people would show you something that was subpar. How did you manage that? And don't make us do four <laughs> shows on a Saturday. <laughs> okay. Um, that was really hard yeah. to go from having no boss. Kind of like Comedy Central, they're so light handed with the notes that we get for my TV show. So well, I've so had. You guys killed it from the beginning. They have. To, you've thank shown you. it. Thank you. Yeah, this season, their notes are like, great job on this sketch. Um, but what was the, But that other thing is really difficult right when you go yeah i mean i've i've had no i've had to answer to no one for a long time obviously and uh and so i think jason canceled the foxwood sponsorship for this (laughs) uh, episode just tell them we'll roll it to the next one when we have lenny Lenny clark and then we'll do it for the lenny clark episode the bars in the showroom they have couches in there it's the worst atmosphere for a show and then they make you sign a poster. I have a poster hanging up at Foxwoods. You know what I wrote on it? What'd you write? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> uh, so, All right. So okay. So anyway. So but, but then what was that like? Yeah. To go from having complete creative control to then have it be. Um, because, I mean, on the TV show, I collaborate a lot. It's all collaboration. Every scene runs through me, runs through all of the writers. So, and and I. I feel like a very open collaborator. I think I've never said it's my show. I say I'm saying this. Go- That's never been said. Yeah, if you say it's my show, you become Bob Balaban and Guffman. <laughs> Which like, I would love to become that. Yeah. Gary and I just sit there quoting that yeah. th- that movie and best oh, really? show yeah. all day. Um, so, so you know, it's like okay, working on the script with Judd, and it's like I have written the script, and it's like so. Then when a suggestion was made. And it's like about a lot of it's a really personal. So it was really something to adjust to. And I'm sure it was something for him to adjust to also because he's never directed someone else's writing before. So, you know, I just had to be stick stick to my guns. And when I felt um, really strong, strong convictions about something, I you know, I would fight for the things I wanted to fight for and then let the other stuff go. But it was it was a really tough adjustment uh, that turned into something really, really cool. Did you think you like? Would you do the next one differently? Would uh, you like go into battle with a director ahead of time, like you did this one before, like a director producer? Would you want to have the script? And like I know, as I went along doing this with Dave, my partner and I, you know, we were really lucky. Our first experience was a great director who was super helpful, and mm-hmm. then made things better. But then when you have one or two, you know, when when you have to make certain core compromises or even debate things because you see them in your head a certain way, yeah. Or even when the the people heading the various departments, you know, the prop doesn't look like you felt thought it would. You know, <laughs> yeah. these little things can right. drive you crazy, right? Well, I would say because um, this is, the movie is pretty much locked, and did so, you participate in the cut? Yeah, and I was at we've been at four screenings um, in L.A. and I've been in the editing room. Uh, a lot. So th- I would say th- the whole process, the hardest part was the fear that I was going to lose complete control and that this thing wouldn't be mine at all anymore and I wouldn't be communicating what I wanted to communicate. That was my my biggest fear. And how did you protect against that? Or Judd gave you his word that it would... I mean, Judd was so patient with me and I was just like, I really want to protect this girl and I'm just really scared because if this isn't done... I- I've been towing this line for so long. There's such a low... Um, 
level of forgiveness for any sort of promiscuity with women. Just, you know, and I feel like like Samantha on Sex in the City, like I thought she was mentally ill. And if one of my friends, you know, not all the time, I thought she was Kim was a beautiful performance, beautiful actress. But I thought if one of my friends, like a lot of comedies written by guys for women, it'll be like they'll write that your friend comes back and is like, I just had sex with three guys in the bathroom and like that you would high five her. And I would just drive my friend to the hospital. You know, I seriously, I'd right. be like, we we, ha- we need you to get looked at. But um, so I just want that. I was so concerned with that and protecting. With the character being a human, be- the yes, being, a human being. Being a human being sure. and, and having her behavior earned. And uh, and so now coming out of the other end of this, the movie's pretty much locked. I can s- sleep very easy at night, and I would I would love to do this with him again because it was just about trusting each other, and that was really hard to do because it wasn't. I don't have Final Cut. He does, and and but now I can say I know what the movie is, and I, he was not lying to me, but he was definitely being patient with me and comforting me the whole time don't don't worry we will get there isn't the most satisfying thing when a bad idea not this not from judd when a bad idea from somewhere gets in yeah. and it lives in a thing for a while yeah and then the whole time you're like how am i going to get this out right like i can't sleep i can't eat i'm going on lexapro when you finally <laughs> i've been exactly there yeah meditation you don't need lexapro anymore if you do I'm on, i do tm That's and it. take lexapro both I'm, what a perfect cocktail <laughs> i just started get... i just i seriously just went on lexapro because i was so stressed about this stuff I, yeah we, i can but, understand yeah. completely yeah uh tm now it's got rid fun. of it all for me i don't need to take I anything i love tm but yeah me uh, me too but um what's your mantra you finally... mine's foxwoods nice. <laughs> 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 Yes. You know what? I, this could get me in some trouble, and those guys might be really vengeful. But I know that at least twenty comedians will hear this and just be like pumping their fists in the air, like "Thank you, girl." They're all gonna hi- high five you. Yeah. My mantra is Rick Crom. Is that weird? <laughs> is that is that a strange mantra to have? It's that's, accompanied by piano. Music. That's a joke for those same thirty people. By the way, that <laughs> I know. joke is literally I know, but for thirty we people. We are killing with thirty people yeah. right now. And well, none 30, of which will listen to this. Some of my thirty are dead, sadly, for oh, the Rick Crom well, joke. If you think about get it, it. Well, they're dead or their careers are dead. So <laughs> same, either way, same so thing. who cares about their uh, laughing along? No, but when you finally get that thing out of the script, yeah, out of the movie, didn't oh. you feel like? Right. Oh, yeah, I felt like I had a baby. I was just like, oh. <laughs> like what a, a really. You. So you like the movie now? You're yeah. happy with it? I'm so proud of it. Have uh, Have any of those moms? We can end on this. The moms from Rockville Center, mm-hmm. who were uh, obnoxious to you, were like, "Oh, dirty Amy," or you know, yeah. whatever you felt. Because I love these moments. I collect them. Mm-hmm. In my own life. Um, like, have any of them wanted to come to one of your shows or like asked for their kid? Like, has has it come back to you in a good way? All of them. How satisfying is it? It's really nice. And what do you do? Are you because I'm always really extra nice? Like, let oh anything you want. I get them a, a weekend in a suite you at do? Foxwoods. God, that's so good. <laughs> no, I'm I'm really at sweet. And yeah, you I'm really not a vengeful. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very sweet, and, and and they're really sweet. You know, it's like everybody's doing their best, and they were doing the best they could. But it still feels really nice to be like you guys were wrong i did what i wanted to do and trusted myself and it's working out so far how was your um bake sale 
<laughs> no, that's the best. Right. You were wrong. Like to say that, to know that to them is the best thing you ever. You were wrong. How was your bake sale? Is that a new headband? <laughs> that and uh, are you proud of every moment of your life? Yeah. Are you proud of every moment of your life? <laughs> Listen, Schumer, I'm so proud to have had you on this thing. Thanks Thank for you. having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for doing it, Kim. Thanks for being here with us. You're going to play Kim. poker yeah. with me, but... Um, you're probably going to take my money. I'm scared now if you really drive to play poker. She's definitely going to take your you money. You can find Amy at Amy Schumer on Twitter? Yeah. Any, like, underscore or anything like no. that? Nope. And don't... And follow Rachel Feinstein and Jesse Klein and Nikki and, Glazer and, and Chelsea Everett. And Chelsea Peretti. And watch Chelsea Peretti. Hey, One P- of the greats. Peretti, how have you not been on the podcast yet? I put your name in a script before you were even close to famous. And she doesn't care. We promised. None of us have any loyalty. You know that. Especially her. It's clear. I know. With Chelsea, she's one of my best friends, and every day we start at zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't. She starts at half a billion because of her brother. And that's, <laughs> that's why she doesn't care. She doesn't because care. Because what does that's she care? That's not why she doesn't care. No. Um, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this, everyone. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can email me at themomentbk at gmail.com. And um, thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.